I'm used to this stuff. Well, we're used to interruptions like that. But uh, usually we meet in a building. Every once in a while we get outside where we can just stretch our muscles a little bit as a church. And uh, here in Hartford, uh, if you're from Hartford, we're so glad you're here today with us. You know, uh, yeah. Several of us went out and knocked doors a couple of days here in Hartford. And last time we were here was 24 years ago, something like that. How many of you were here last time we met at the park? Raise your hand and look at that, just a handful of us. And uh, bigger group this time, much bigger group. But uh, we, we knocked doors, and uh, I didn't meet a, a sour person the whole time. It was a very, very friendly town. And if you're here from Hartford, I know there's a few of you here. We're glad that you, you could be with us today. And if you're not from Hartford and you're here, man, praise God that you come and be with us as well. We're going to have a great time today. The way the service is going, we have... Well, I'm going to talk a little bit, hopefully just a little bit. And then after that, we're going to be eating around 11.30 is when we're going to be eating. So just kind of mingle and meander around, and we'll, we'll start, we'll let you know. Uh, we'll pray at the end of this lesson for the meal, so then we'll just hear somebody say, start eating. And uh, I know you all know how to do that. Also, uh, you're going to notice some things uh, on the post every once in a while. Uh, Melissa put those up there, right? And there are game schedule. I think there's a three-legged race. Kickball. That's my favorite. I like kickball. And uh, some other things, right? And there's a schedule there. We have that ball diamond behind us, right? And we have all this field over here. Uh, the Splash Park will be open for our kids. And uh, we're just having a good time together, guys. We want to be together. And, and um, here's something from the Word of God. And like I say, uh, we want to invite uh, the city of Hartford, uh, home, the hometown of Clint Walker, if you know who he is. Uh, yeah. So it's nice, nice for you to be here. I'm glad you could be here with us. Let's see. Uh, what, what, you'll notice in your bulletin, there's several things in your bulletin. If you got one, uh, there's a there's a series we're doing called Identity, and I'm kind of doing something that relates to that today. But we'd love you to come and, and join us. There's in fact, there, you'll notice in your bulletin, there's a map on the back of how to get to our church. We're the church that has the big concrete dome. So if anybody here, if you've ever said, man, if I ever go to church, the roof will cave in. Now in that place, it'll be just like safest building in the area. can take hurricane forces that you can't imagine. So uh, you're safe. So come on and join us next Sunday uh, at 10 o'clock as well. We'll be continuing this series on identity. You're also going to notice, I believe in the bulletin, there's something about uh, Wood River Water Park. And what we're doing there is we're having a summer splash. We, our children and families come together and we kind of blow out the summer just before school. And uh, that'll be $2 a person there at, at the Wood River Aquatic Center. And you can, you'll can you see there in your bulletin as well. I want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, one, of them, one of them is uh, our marriage retreat. We've got more information now for couples. And uh, we're having it at the Pear Tree Hotel there near downtown, near Union Station. You can see the arch and everything. We've got a great rate. Uh, free parking is going to be there. Uh, free breakfast. I mean, this is nice. Free breakfast. Yeah. I, I see some singles wanting to get married just to get the breakfast. Okay. But uh, you got the, Yeah, that's what you're getting sure. I want to get some you know, scrambled eggs. Well. But uh, also, uh, besides free parking, that there's, there's going to be a snack bar from three to ten that's free as well. So 
that's going to be on board. We're, we're calling it this year, Meet Me in St. Louis. And uh, we're going to be meeting there in downtown St. Louis uh, for our marriage street this year. We're going to be looking at things. We're just looking at things in our, in our, in our marriages that maybe we've forgotten that are right under our noses. You know, we live close to a metropolitan city. And I bet a lot of us here, have been, it's been years since we've been to Union Station or the zoo. You know, these, these coming attractions. So we're going to be looking at some things that maybe we've forgotten. You know, our familiarity has uh, not, maybe not bred contempt, but we've just forgotten some basic things about marriage. So I'd like you to join us. One last thing before I get into this lesson. Now, I just want to, want to point out there's, there's Kelsey Anderson right over there. And she's organized this thing, so she's just preaching. She's been kind of the brainchild of this thing. And, uh, uh, you know, let her know that. Uh, let her know. And I know a lot of you have helped out as well, too. Um, this identity series, we've been looking at... Uh, who are we? Who Do you know who you are? You know, there's a lot of things that try to define us in life. And one of the things that, uh, well, there's actually four different ways the world tries to identify you. And sometimes we'll even identify ourselves, whether we matter or not, whether we're valuable or not. Our values sometimes are based on these four, and I believe, unreliable ways or unreliable uh, standards that the world puts on us. And sometimes we put it on ourselves. For example, a lot of times we will determine our value, our identity, by our appearance, by the way we look. You know, if we look good, we must be good. If we look, you know, handsome and, you know, uh, I, don't know I, I think Jethro Bodine once said suave and deboner. If we look really, you know, or debonair, that's the word, yeah. Uh, the idea of if, if we look a certain way, then, we, you know, if we look like a winner, then we're valuable. And, and a lot of people hire and fire based on looks. We know that. And maybe some of you, you know, feel this, that, that way, like, well, if I was pretty, if I was handsome, then I would, I'd feel valuable and people seem to pay more attention to me. But when you stop and think about it, guys, there's only a handful of people that are in that category. Most of us, well, we're average. Keep my opinion to myself, okay. We do think we're, we're the prettiest in the room, maybe we do. But isn't that true? A lot of times we base our value on how we look. We're always concerned about how we look. And in our society, we are very paranoid about that, how we look. And it fades, believe me, it fades. <laughs> I'm 57, and they talk about a spare tire. I think I got a little tire company forming here, you know. And so uh, it, it fades away, and yet we, we, we latch onto that. Another thing that we try to we, we try to get uh, value from is affluence. In other words, we base it on what do we own. If I own, if I've got a lot of stuff, then I must I must be significant. And that's not true either because that stuff wears out. You really can't go by stuff. I mean, you think about it. If if you're thinking, oh man, if I have, if, you know, like for example, for me, as I'm a business owner, I own CMW Autoglass, and one of the things I notice for me personally is when things are going well, I think I'm pretty good. When things are not going well, I think I'm pretty bad. It's like it's like the recession causes a depression. And, and when you're when you're looking at the things you have, and see the best things in life are not things. You can't you can't rely on things. Just because somebody has a lot of stuff doesn't mean they're significant. But we play that game. Man, if I had this, I had this, I had this, then people would think I was important. I might think I was valuable. I matter. Another thing is achievement. It simply it goes like this. You know, if I can do it, if I can have enough goals, enough win enough awards, 
accomplish enough that somebody will say, that will make me significant. But the problem with that is, every time you set a record, somebody else beats that record eventually. Would you agree with that? I remember when I used to play video games, not at home, but at a video arcade, I'm dating myself, and I'd get the number one, I'd put my initials in, and I'd come back next week and somebody, well not just one, four or five people beat my score. That's the problem with setting records and achievement. So there's always somebody else that can do a little bit more. So you really can't value your life based on that. And I think probably the fourth one that the world tries to push upon us, and we buy into this all the time, folks, is the approval of others. We worry about what people think. If they think good of us, then we're a winner. But if, but if they don't think a lot of us, and they, if they, they don't think good of us, then maybe we're not so hot. And we really, and we, when we work, and this is probably something that I find myself falling into all the time, is wanting to be a people pleaser. Are you a people pleaser? And you're buying into this idea that if I can get enough people's approval, then I'm significant. The problem is, you're never going to get everybody's approval, are you? Somebody's going to say, I don't like that, or criticize you. And, when you, and this is what I've learned about, about uh, this idea of approval. When you're criticized, it devastates you. That's how you know you're relying on that. Yet, all four of these, don't, they really don't work. In fact, your approval or, your, or your, what you matter, your value is not based on any of those four at all. It really is based on how God feels about you, how your Creator feels about you. If we could just get that, I heard somebody say it this way, you probably base your value, as well as I, on the most significant person in your life, the most important person in your life, what they think of you. And that's a good reason to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. Would you agree? Because when you make Christ Lord of your life, He will tell you why you matter. In fact, I find some several places in the Bible where Jesus has encounters with people and He shows them that they matter. One of the things that I love about uh, getting together like this is we're going to eat together. You know, we're going to eat a bunch together. Right now, they're, they're making burgers and hot dogs as fast as they can. And, you know, we're going to have a great time. People want side dishes. I don't know why they call them side dishes. They're, they really ought to be called inside dishes. <laughs> you know, because that's what we're going to end up, right? Yeah, and, and, and yet we're going to have a good time. We're going to eat together. And there's something about eating together that just, uh, I don't know, disarms people. And we just have a great time. Jesus was known for having lots of meals with people. Did you know that? He liked to eat. In fact, one time they called him a drunk and a glutton. They said, you party too much. They were on him about that. That was his critics. They said, you're always eating with somebody. But it wasn't just the meals. It was who he was eating with. In fact, in the book of Luke, it says that some people eat said, Hey, I got people calling me a drunk and a glutton that I eat with tax collectors and sinners. You know, Jesus was famous for having a dinner with a sinner. You gotta admit. He was famous for that. He was known for that. His critics confirmed that. And you know what? He wants that. What was the point of that? Well, he had think about all the people he's had meals with. If you know your New Testament, he had a meal with a Pharisee, self-righteous, smug, religious person. You know anybody like that? Don't look at him. He, he, had, he had a meal with a prostitute. He would eat meals with tax collectors, with publicans. 
not Republican, it's Republicans, that's a different one. And, and Sinners, he was known for doing that. In fact, he, he fed thousands of people that had all kinds of checkered past. He loved eating with people. But he provided the food sometimes. That's how much he loved doing it. Why? Eating with, with these people, he was illustrating he wanted a relationship with them. He wanted to sit down and have a meal and enjoy being with them. And what I want to look at today is a fellow by the name of Zacchaeus, who Jesus has a meal with and the crowd doesn't like it and they begin to criticize what Jesus is doing. And, well, let's see what, what we find out here. Let's read this. If you've got a Bible and you'd like to turn to Luke 19, here's what the Bible says. In Luke 19, we're going to pick it up in verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Does that sound like affluence or, or achievement? Chief tax collector. He's, he's, oh, by the way, he's worked his way up the ladder in the IRS. He's a chief tax collector, and he's rich. There's affluence. Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus and was unable because of the crowd. He was small. How he looks. There's that appearance. By the way, the word small there means the, the Greek word behind this idea of small. He's saying he's as small as an undeveloped child. You know, I think of Wizard of Oz and the Munchkins. He's the smallest guy. Tradition believes he was the smallest guy in town. Underdeveloped. You don't think he got some name calling and some teasing about that? So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and, and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, come down, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and, and received him gladly. When they saw it, this is the crowd, when they saw it, they began to grumble, they began to criticize, they began to mutter, saying, He's gone to the guest of a man who's a sinner. One translation says, doesn't Jesus know he's going into the home of a notorious sinner? The biggest sinner in town? Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation uh, has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save people like this. Now you, you, look, at, you look at Zacchaeus' life. This guy is the shortest guy in town. He's a tax collector. He's not a popular man. He's not well liked. Anybody been audited lately? I've been audited twice this year. It was not fun. I did not like it. And I did not invite them to church. <laughs> Sorry, I, I did not. Did you overlook that by mistake, Tim? I <clears throat> want to talk about that later, but... You know, it, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. Who likes... I mean, anybody here enjoy? Anybody best friends with somebody who works with the IRS? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just imagine this. Here's a guy... And by the way, a tax collector back then, well, you kind of paid for the position, and you cheated people, and you could make a lot of money cheating people. They'd actually charge them much more than they owed, and they pocket the rest of the money. And, and Zacchaeus had a reputation of that. 
So he's not well liked. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to be with him. He's short on top of that. I'm not down on short people. I'm six four. You know, I understand. You know, tall people. You know, what was that old song when I was a teenager? Short people got no reason to live. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Okay. I used to be short. I used to be a very short guy. Uh, one of the shortest people in my freshman class. And so, but but Zach, he is, he is, you can imagine, he's a short guy. He's he's made fun of all constantly, uh, constantly. He's made all this money. And you think he feels good about himself? Do you think it's a reach to think maybe Zacchaeus was feeling guilty about how he acquired all that wealth? You can't be happy when you're feeling guilty. Not like that. And I can just imagine all the jeering and all the teasing, all the name calling, and Zacchaeus before long is growing bitter, very bitter toward his town, toward Jericho. And just imagine now. Here comes Jesus Christ in one day, just one day, in one moment. Zacchaeus' life turns completely around because of Jesus Christ, because he meets Jesus Christ. You know, that's what we're about here, greater all of you. We're not interested in controlling people. We're not interested in sticking our nose in somebody's business just to be a gossip. It's about finding Christ. It's about Jesus changing your life. That's what it's really about. We know our relationship with Jesus is what you and I need. We both need it. I need Jesus just as bad as you. And you need Jesus just as bad as me, believe me. And you know, when we have an encounter with Christ, it will change our lives. Why? Because we find out from Jesus that you and I really matter. You really matter to God. Because here's a guy that Nobody gives a rip about, and here comes Jesus, and he, sh- and he shows him in four ways. In four ways he shows him he matters. And I want you to know this morning, God wants you to know, there's four reasons you matter. There's four truths you need to know that you matter to God. What are they, Tim? Because we're, we're hungry. I understand. The first thing I want you to know is, that what I noticed with Zacchaeus in this passage is this. No matter how small you feel, Jesus notices you. No matter how small or insignificant you may feel, you are noticed by God. It says here when Jesus came by, you know, Zacchaeus, he's trying to get through the crowd, remember? And he can't get through all the tall, tall people are blocking him. And that's everybody. And so he, what's he do? He climbs up a tree so he can get a glimpse of Jesus. And the Bible says when he came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. There's a crowd of people all around him. But he looks up and he sees, he sees Zacchaeus. Imagine for a minute. Here's Zacchaeus going, wow, he's looking at me. Have you, ever, have you ever had anybody famous look at you? Notice you? I know a guy one time that went to the Tonight Show. Olivia Newton-John was singing. Now some of you might not know who Olivia Newton-John is. But I do. Every young man does. And she was a knockout Australian that sang so beautifully. And, and she's on the Tonight Show. And this guy said, I'm sitting there, Tim. And she's singing. And she looks right at me. And I go, what did you do? Oh, man, I swear. I, I think she went. <laughs> you get some... I, I've talked to... I, I, I've met uh, Lou Brock. I've, I've met Jack Clark. I've met some of the Cardinals. And when they look at you, oh. And I look at anybody else. And they ask you a question on top of that. Oh, my. 
You know, they notice me. They got so many people around them, and they notice me. That's what Zacchaeus is, is learning here. This is what he's experiencing here. And if you think about it, Jesus Christ gives his love to this man the best way anyone can. You know, when you think about giving love to somebody, you might think about flowers or gifts or something like that. You know what Jesus gives Zacchaeus is showing that he really matters, he really has love? He gives Zacchaeus his attention. And guys, there's no greater gift, no greater way to express love to somebody by giving them your attention. Stop and think about it. Don't our kids need that? Sometimes we're worried about what we're going to get our kids for birthday, for Christmas. And sometimes all they want is, Mommy, watch. Daddy, look at me. Look at me. Watch me. They just want our attention. Why? Because it affirms they're valuable, that they matter. I don't know if your kids are trying to get your attention. But Zacchaeus did not have to get God's attention, and neither do you. He notices you. He sees you. And that's because you matter to him. I don't know if you're up a tree somehow, maybe up a tree financially, or I don't know, in your marriage, or something's going on. I want you to know God sees it. He, he sees it, He notices you, and He's not interested in condemning you. He's interested in helping you and changing you. Praise God. Look at this says here. I love this. You know, uh, especially this time of year, what an what a appropriate passage. It says here in Luke 12, God never overlooks a single sparrow. You know, uh, English sparrow, if you don't do a Google search, so if you've got a smartphone, just do a search on sparrow. They're everywhere. The sparrow is on every continent, in almost in every place. You can find the nesting at the Empire State Building in New York. You can find the nesting in mines thousands of feet under the earth. They somehow get there. Why? They are around people. They love to be around people. We see them around here. But my brother and I used to call them spatsies. But they're sparrows. And he says, the Bible says, and Jesus is thinking about this. And he's talking to this crowd, going, you know, uh, how can I illustrate how much God notices you, my Father notices you? I know. I'll take an everyday bird that's everywhere, a sparrow. And he says that God never overlooks a single sparrow. And he pays even greater attention to you. Down to the last detail. He even has the, the, the hairs on your head numbered. And yes, he knows when they're going less and less and less. He knows that. And he knows every detail about you. Why? Because you're, the, the Bible says, the apple of his eye. So if you're wondering, nobody else is noticing me, you've got God's attention. You've got, by the way, especially if you've been invited to come here, God tried to get your attention by getting you here today. Amen? Isn't that awesome? You, you matter to God because He notices you. Here's the second thing. No matter who ignores me, Jesus knows me. You can be ignored by friends and family and strangers and people overlook you right and left. And I'll tell you, Jesus never overlooks you. He sees you and He not only notices you, He knows you. How do you know that, Tim? Well, look at this. Again, Luke 19.5. When Jesus came up, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. You ever had this happen? Somebody come up to you and call you by name, and you don't know them? How do they know my name? How do they know me? I have to say all the time. Hi, Tim. Hi, Mr. Gill. Who are you? I don't know. How does he know me? And there's something about that. You know my name? You know, and when you hear your name... 
if my wife wants me to get to, to do something, all Denise has to say is, Tim, because uh, I know she's not talking to anyone else but me. And Jesus, there's lots of other people in the crowd. And he says, Zacchaeus, by name, I want you to come down out of the tree. Because I'm going to eat at your house today. He invites himself to dinner with a sin. Is that something? You say, what's so significant about that? Well, you know what Zacchaeus' name means? It means pure one. <laughs> Zacchaeus was nothing like that. He was a crooked, you know, four-flushing, bushwhacking barracuda. He was a shyster. He'd swindle you. He was a flim-flam man. This guy, this guy, why, he'd cheat his own mother. And, and I, want, I got to thinking, when, would be, when was the last time Zacchaeus probably heard his name? I mean, he heard names, right? No good. <laughs> he heard those names as they're writing a check or giving him money. No, my name's Zacchaeus. I'm sure one. Get out of here. I don't care what your name is. So, so, finally, when's the last time you think he heard his name? Yet, if Jesus saying him, call him pure one. And he's nothing like that. Why would you call him pure one, Jesus? Why would you do that? He calls him pure one because he wants Zacchaeus to know, I see you as you could be, not as you are. I see you as you what you were made to be and who you were made to be, not what you've become. In fact, what you've become, I can do better. I want you to become pure. And you know, it's, I don't know, guys, sometimes I, I wonder, some of us here, you know, we're afraid to get too close to God, and we have this idea. I sometimes feel this way. Man, if I get too close to the Lord, He's going to show, He's going to show every bad thing I've done. He's going to bring up every bad thing I've done. Like, that's what judgment is going to be like. It's going to be this giant jumbotron, and He's going to show every bad thing I've done. I knew I shouldn't have become a Christian. I mean, oh, I knew it. I mean, oh, I'm close, and He's going to show me every bad thing. You know what? It's not, that's not true at all. You get close to Jesus. He isn't, he isn't about bringing up, every, bringing up every bad thing. It's about bringing up every good thing that's in your life. Bringing out the best in you. And He does that by telling you how things could be, not as they are. And He says that to Zacchaeus. He's telling Zacchaeus this. He's affirming his potential and not pointing to his past. I don't know where we get this idea that God is, is, I think we're more interested in our past than He is. He wants to blot it out. We're the ones that keep bringing, bringing it up again and again and again. And so, He treats Zacchaeus like He wants him to be. He brings out the best. I love this, uh, this passage in Isaiah 49. We look at this uh, the last couple of weeks in the daily text. And it just makes me realize, you know, there's a time when maybe you feel sometimes like, does God even notice me? Does God even remember me? Does God even care about me? In fact, and it kind of goes with Isaiah 49. It says here, Jerusalem says this, the Lord has deserted us. He has forgotten us. And here's God's response, never. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has, has born? But even if that were possible, I will, would not forget you. 
See, I've, I've written her name on my hand. This is something in Isaiah. 750 years before Jesus comes, and it's almost like a prophecy about Christ. I can't forget you. To prove it to you, I'll put something on my hands to remind you that I'm thinking of you. Can you think of something on Jesus right now on His hands that will remind you that you matter? Aren't they not, aren't they not scars from nails on a cross? So He doesn't want to forget you. He doesn't. He won't forget you. Not only does He notice you, but He wants He wants you to know that you matter enough that that he, that you, you're noticed, that you're affirmed, that you're loved. So no matter how insignificant I feel, no matter how insignificant you feel, you matter to God. That's what I learned from Zacchaeus. And no matter how many people ignore you, you've got His attention. You've got God's attention. And He has no intention of looking away. He wants He wants to help you. What's the third thing, Tim? Well, no matter what I've done, Jesus wants me. Is that something? That to me is amazing to me. That's profound. No matter what I've done, but I've done some messed up things. And you say, I bet I'm the worst sinner here. Don't be so surprised that that person sitting next to you may have outdone you this week. You say, oh, Tim, if you knew what I've done, it'd make the hair stand on your head. Well, if you knew what I've done, it might make yours fall out. (laughs) We all mess up. We've all done things. We've all done things we're ashamed of. Zacchaeus has cheated people. He swindled people. He has set people up. And Jesus invites himself to his house. Is that amazing? Of all the people that you think wouldn't want to go to Zacchaeus' house, it'd be Jesus, but he's a God wanted visiting. God wants to be in his house. It says when he got there, he looked up at Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I want to stay with you today. He invites himself to dinner. I, you know, when I first read that years ago, I'd go, how rude. Jesus, what are you doing? Inviting yourself to dinner. And I, I remember my dad used to make fun of preachers. Yeah, they're always sticking around for some fried chicken. <laughs> and, you know, looking at some preachers today, they seem like they make maybe several chickens at one time. You know, I mean, it's, I understand what they're saying. And, you know, the idea that, that uh, people invite themselves. And Jesus, I mean, is this proper etiquette?